Don't use adjectives, which merely tell us how you want us to feel about the thing you are describing. I mean, instead of telling us a thing was terrible, describe it so that we'll be terrified. Don't say it was delightful. Make us say delightful when we've read the description. You see, all those words, horrifying, wonderful, hideous, exquisite, are only like saying to your readers, please, will you do my job for me? C.S. Lewis. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to this September bonus episode of Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. And for today's episode, we wanted to talk about something everyone experiences, but it can be a little bit difficult to actually write. And to define, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. So we're going to break down emotions. We wanted to do this as a bonus episode because we didn't want to just skim this. This is something that is important for your writing, no matter what you're writing. If it's nonfiction, fiction, if it's a self-help book, no matter what, emotion has to be a part of your writing. And I found when I really started defining the emotions for my characters, not only did I learn something about myself, but I connected with readers on a whole new level. So it was about a decade ago, I think it was my pastor defined emotions, put them into four categories, mad, sad, glad, and scared. We're going to get into those in more detail in a minute. But if you look at emotions on a spectrum in the same way you might look at colors, there are ways to mix them and and mesh them and get some unique flavor out of these. But we still have to have a way of defining them so we can communicate said emotions to a reader because ultimately writing is about communication. So if you consider emotion like color, you have your primary colors that you're taught when you're a kid, red, blue, and yellow. I always get that confused because I am very much into the video and technology world where it's red, blue, and green. Yes. Technically, yellow, I think, is a mixture of green and red. If we're looking at light, if you're looking at ink, it's the exact opposite where it's yellow, cyan, and magenta. Yes. Anyway. So, <laughs> so that's our little bit of nerdy here. So you have those specific colors. So let's go with the art example. Yellow, cyan, magenta. You mix those colors with each other and you get your richer, deeper, more interesting spectrum of colors. Same with emotion. You mix being angry and scared and you get an interesting combination that provides more depth and complexity for your characters. So as we go through all of these emotions, you can think of, okay, my character is mostly scared right now, but with a little bit of sadness mixed in or a little bit of anger and fury mixed into the emotion. And like orange is primarily yellow with a little bit of red. We can intermix all of these and give percentages if you as a listener are anything like me and have to think of everything in like lines and numbers. Another thing to consider, it is actually scientifically proven that teenagers feel emotions stronger than adults do. So as you write a teenage character, it's not that they're intentionally being dramatic. It's just oftentimes, especially the younger you go, it's often the first time this character has ever felt this particular emotion. If you think back to when you were a teenager or if you are a teenager now, Just think of all of those hormones that are messing with your emotions. You know, you can be sad for no apparent reason. You can be happy for no apparent reason. It's because what's happening inside your body is new. It's different. It's a physiological thing that causes those emotions to just rage out of control. Yes. Another thing to think about your character when figuring out emotions are how long they've been experiencing these emotions because that does change the flavor of the emotion. If I've been angry for a really long time, it becomes bitterness or resentment instead of a flash response to an injustice. If I've been sad for a really long time, it moves toward depression instead of just having a bad day. And same with fear, it becomes anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, in, and when you have anxiety, it's not necessarily a fear response to something specific, but a fear response to anything. Mm-hmm. And a quick note about, we talked a little bit about writing teenagers. 
As a female, I get really annoyed when men write about females having emotions in response to especially that time of month. It completely invalidates the emotions that a female is going through. Yeah, note to all male writers out there, females are humans. We have emotions no matter what time of month it is. And if you write that that is the excuse for her acting that way, I will put your book down. Absolutely. If you think of sociopaths, so people who experience very little emotion of having that emotion volume turned way down, I would say for a lot of females, that time of month turns it extra up, extra loud. So they're feeling every emotion more, but that does not invalidate the feelings that they are going through. So there's also something that when it comes to emotions, a character's outlook will change how they're responding to things. Consider somebody who is very religiously devout to a benevolent God. They are going to usually have a more optimistic, positive outlook and happier responses to bad situations. Having a deity associated with your character, I think, ends up being a coping mechanism in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's a very healthy coping mechanism, sometimes not. I am a Christian. There's, I'm not shy about that. But as we write about deities, and next month during October, we're going to look a little more into the roles that deities play in storytelling. But as we write about them, understanding how they affect our character's emotions and the mindset that somebody goes through. So let's pretend for a moment I believe in karma. I can walk up to somebody and punch them in the face and assume they deserved it, right? That's a theological explanation for an emotion. I I want, yes, I want that to happen. (laughs) I got really close to doing that the other day. Someone was mistreating a dog and I was this close to just laying them on the ground. Yeah. Something else I want to kind of define and something you should, when we're talking about deities, is the morality behind emotions. If you talk to a Jedi, they're going to say anger is a bad emotion. Fear leads to anger, leads to hate, leads to suffering. That is a negative path. And then some emotions like happiness and joy are are positive emotions. But in my experience, at least in reality, if we're not associating with a particular deity, all of the emotions are non-moral. doesn't mean they're immoral. What I'm saying is you can have a bad guy be happy. That doesn't make him a good guy. Yeah, they're very amoral. Yeah, that's the word. So let's talk about kind of the do's and don'ts of writing emotion. First, the do's. When you are writing somebody with emotions, you need to make it physical. Show us those physical responses in your character to the emotion or what's causing the emotion. So if my boss walked in right now and then called me into his office and then shut the door, my gut would turn. There is a physical response to something. I don't need to, if I'm writing that particular scene out, I don't need to say I'm feeling stress or I'm feeling anxious. My gut turns as the door clicks closed. It's like, ugh. And in some cases, you might end up having sweat start to form. You might feel a little bit hot. You know, a physical response to that thing. Hey, we need to talk. Mm -hmm. Which physical response that is, is up to you as a writer. I know Wolverine would react very differently than Superman would react very differently from Glinda the Good. There are different physical responses that you can access, but accessing that toolbox is really the point of this particular rant. So what you're basically saying is flesh out your characters and then make their response fit that character. Yes. And it should be relatively unique to that character if more than one character has a similar response. They should be genetically related in some way. The other thing when it comes to writing emotions is it's not just telling your readers what your character's experiencing. It's the opening line from C.S. Lewis, make the reader feel that emotion too. One thing I would like to say is making it predictable, I think is a useful tool. If your character is well fleshed out enough, we know that this character is going to respond in this way. In the book I'm writing currently, I have one character who has a very difficult time connecting on an emotional level with other people. 
So when she's asked to kill someone, it's not nearly as difficult as this other character who's very good at connecting with people and immediately senses a room very well and all of that. Each character being very separate has a different response and you can kind of guess that going into it. And when you change that on its head, that can either be a very fun tool or a very dangerous tool because you're changing the definition of your character to your audience. So what are some things we shouldn't do when we're talking about feelings? The biggest thing when you're talking about feelings is to never use the word feel. Yeah. There are so many better words to represent what that character is experiencing because it is an experience, not a feeling. We talked in a previous episode about crutch words, and this is another reflection of that. Using the word feel means you're not actually making the reader feel it. You are telling them that your character is feeling it. And there's a distance from your character in that fashion. If you want to create a distance, good luck. There's a tool and a time for everything that you want to do. And this is another tool, the word feel. It's not like we pretend it doesn't exist, but it's often a red flag. I liken it kind of to lucid dreaming where you're aware of what's going on in your body and you're aware that, oh, I'm dreaming right now. Oh, I can fly. That consciousness can happen with emotions also. And so you can access them and react in a certain way. But more often than not, you're not choosing your emotions. Sometimes you'll have that character who is a little bit emotionally disconnected, a little bit psychotic. Uh, Sociopath. Sociopath, yes. They'll recognize when they're supposed to be experiencing a certain emotion and they may end up saying, I should be feeling this. Mm -hmm. And that's an okay place to use the word feel and feeling because they're recognizing something that would be a normal response for someone else. Yeah. I promised myself that if I ever got into screenwriting or script writing for the stage or anything like that, I will never make a character say, I feel it. Every time I see that on the screen or on the stage, I facepalm. It's like I pity every actor who has to deliver that line. So another thing that you should avoid when you are writing emotion are your adjectives and adverbs. That goes back to the show don't tell thing. Oftentimes you're saying something redundant and there's a better word to combine with an adverb. So she smiled happily. In most cases, you can see that you're telling the reader how to feel. The way to say somebody smiled happily is to say they had a genuine smile. Yeah. If you want to show something that is wrong with that smile, then make it more akin to baring their teeth. You know, they bared their teeth in a grin. That gives you that sense that there's something wrong with that smile without Mm -hmm. saying He smiled evilly. Yeah. You can only use the phrase cruel smile once, maybe. If you're lucky. If my editor doesn't hate me. Another note about what to avoid when writing emotions is avoid giving your tertiary characters, the shopkeep, the baker, avoid giving them more than one emotion per scene. We don't want them to be complex. We talked about this a little bit in the writing secondary and tertiary characters episode. But having them with an emotional arc takes away from your main character. One thought process only per tertiary character. It's part of what makes tertiary characters so great because you meet that flirtatious barmaid and you know exactly what to expect from her through the rest of those interactions. When you meet that grizzled old soldier, you know exactly how he's going to react to things. It makes it easier for the reader to process while still focusing on the main character. So how do I write emotions? There are two different kinds of ways of doing it. And that's in your main character. That's inside feeling versus portraying it in another character. So if I'm writing the scene of this moment right now, I can say that Lee has her hands on her hips and she's sort of swaying back and forth. That tells me something about her mood versus what I'm feeling inside right now. So when you're portraying a physical emotion in someone else, so if you're having a character observe physical responses from a different character, 
they're going to describe what is happening physically. They're going to see that the person is holding their head in their hands and just shaking their head. And you can describe it like they just look like they're bearing the weight of the world. She can run her fingers through her hair. She can bite her lip. She can sort of stand on one foot versus the other. All of these physical motions will tell you about the emotional state of the other character. And it's something that in our lives, we observe all the time without realizing it. We see people experience emotions and we subconsciously process that in order to know how to react to that person. So maybe that's something that you can do is an exercise is as you're going through your day, watch people, see people, think about how you would describe them in your book. How would you describe what they're doing affecting their emotions? And another way that I've found helpful, at least for me, is understanding word choice. And not just if it's a character choice for them to swear or not swear, but which words they're using and when will tell you about their emotional state. So kind of the final point in how to represent emotion in a different character from the one you're writing a point of view on is volume. Don't use all caps if they're shouting, but you can use those words to describe that they are just raging at someone because they're so furious at something that happened. One of the best things that I've seen in this is actually Molly Weasley Mm. in the Harry Potter books. In the second book, when the kids get home from having flown the car, (laughs) it is a great contrast. I take issue with some of the other aspects of that whole thing, whatever, Um, but... (laughs) The way that J.K. Rowling represented the way she was speaking, she was just shouting and furious and angry at her kids, mostly because she was scared. Mm -hmm. And then she'd turn to Harry and be like, oh, it's okay, dear. You're fine. I'm glad you're here. And just go back to a normal level and a normal tone and then turn back to Fred, George, and Ron and just rage at them again and shouting and loud. How you write their volume makes a big difference in how they're experiencing emotions. If you have somebody that's angry and they're whispering mm-hmm. and it's quiet, you're like, oh no, <laughs> because that tells you that they have a seething, deep anger inside them. Jack Bauer is in that category for me. and He's kind of my go-to for a quiet anger. Those tend to be your more terrifying characters. The quiet characters, at least in my experience and what I like to write. But having that quiet anger of, you drove my car, huh? That quietness is far more terrifying. Unless it's coming from mom. Well, for me, personally, my mom would be very much a Molly Weasley character where she'd Mm -hmm. just shout and be angry and blah, blah, blah. And then she'd be fine. So I'd be a little bit scared as she's raging. But if my dad talk to me in that sternly quiet, angry Mm -hmm. voice, I would be trembling. Mm -hmm. And so that's something else you can do is your character's physical responses to someone else's emotion can help represent what that other person is feeling as well. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about showing another character's emotions in a scene. What about writing the main character's emotions? I've said this once. I cannot say it enough and will probably say it again. Make the reader feel that emotion. Describe their heart pounding more rapidly. Describe the sweat that's starting to fall down their face. Describe their hands shaking and their desire to just run. I think, at least in my own writing, I like to relate it to something that the reader would have felt. We are assuming that my readers have never felt someone trying to thread a rope through someone's arm before. They won't have felt that, but they... Through the arm? Yeah, there, there are two bones in there. It was a thin ah. rope. Yeah, he, he was a slave. That was how they transported slaves. Anyway. Ah. <laughs> but that feeling is not something most of my readers will have felt, but they might have had a migraine or they might have had a toothache that just didn't go away. This throbbing ache that they couldn't do anything about. 
So even though threading the arm is going to be a lot more painful, if I can relate it to something that the reader might have experienced at some point in their life, I'm more likely to get that effect across. So one of the questions I see in the ether often is, how do I punctuate a character's thoughts? Do I say, he thought, comma, italics this, or whatever? My answer is almost always just delete the he thought and just put it in the rest of the because everything outside of dialogue is your character's impression of what's going on. So one of the things that I do in order to show a reaction from the character is I'm actually asking questions, not in dialogue, but really, did she just call me that after she did this? That asking a question outside of dialogue will help define your character's emotions in a very specific and detailed way. So there are also different states of being that aren't necessarily emotional, but can have similar reactions or cause emotions. So if someone is hungry, what kind of reaction do they have when they're hungry? Do they get hangry? Yep. I think it was my mom said that Jesus got hangry. That was like his thing. Cause you know, he cursed the fig tree and then like the next scene he was destroyed the temple, as I recall. So he just he was hungry and then just went off on everybody. Jesus was hangry. Being hungry is not an emotion. It is a physical state of how you are. Being cold is not an emotion, but it could draw an emotion out of you. Same thing with being in love. I wouldn't necessarily say that's one of our mad, sad, glad, or scared. That's a state of being. Having chaos or order around you, those can draw emotions out of you. But chaos and order are not emotions in and of themselves. Again, with being ill, you know, I get to stay home. Yay. Illness is drawing out happiness as an emotion. I'm going to go back real quick to the in love as not an emotion. Okay. You, as the listener, may be like, what? Love is an emotion? Not necessarily. Lust is an emotion. Yes. Love is a choice. Choice. It's a deeper connection with someone that causes emotions. You can have love cause joy. It can cause contentment. It can cause, in some occasions, lust. But being in love in and of itself is not an emotion. Yeah. Saying that that's this character's defining emotion is being in love is not really accurate. I'm writing a story right now where the two main characters are married. They get annoyed at each other. You know, they feel the lust. They feel all of the full range of emotions while being in love. And if you try to write a character whose emotional complexity is being in love and that's it, you will have the most boring YA character in the world. Yeah. We're hoping this is a tertiary character that only shows up for one scene and then disappears. Yeah, that one fangirl that's like, oh my goodness, I Conrad love you so much. <laughs> so let's get actually into the different four emotions, mad, sad, glad, and scared. Mad. What can you tell us about being mad? Anger is a healthy response to an injustice. Often this injustice is being done to somebody you care about. Might be done to yourself as well. That's when you get that it's not fair. It's not a negative emotion. It is a healthy emotion. Again, a lot of my definition for emotion comes biblically. And God was angry. He was a jealous God. He wanted his people to love him and wrath on those he didn't love. It's not that God was being bad for that moment, but it tends to be a flash in the pan. Tends to be a fast response, gets you doing something. It also takes a long time to get there for moral characters. It's like, okay, you can push my buttons. I'll, I'll be okay with it. Okay, fine. And then when that anger happens, get out of that person's way. When it comes to writing anger, like Lee said, it is a good emotion. It is an emotion that all of your characters should be feeling. All of your main characters should be feeling, whether good or evil. The difference is their reaction to anger. And what catalyzes the emotion in the first place. Yes. Because if you think of somebody who is a angry drunk and abuses their spouse... That is not a good reaction to anger. 
And the injustice that they're perceiving is she didn't have the food on the table in time. Which is not a good perceived justice. And that's what makes the difference between your good and bad characters. Your good characters, their injustice will be something to the effect of someone is being harmed. Someone is being put down in some kind of way. And that needs to stop. Your evil characters will usually have a more selfish spark for that anger. A, I'm not being treated the way that I need to be treated. No one loves me as much as I deserve. So we talked a little bit about mixing emotions. If anger is mixed with any of the other emotions, what effect does it have? Anger usually has a reactionary kind of response. So if you mix anger with fear, you're going to get a fight response. You're going to get somebody who is willing to scrap their way out of whatever is making them angry and scared. In the same vein, if you're mixing sadness with anger, you end up with a bitterness. And then some of the more positive ways is a righteous anger. Okay, we're doing this for a good reason. John Mook, they killed my dog. I'm going to wipe out the entire mafia and anyone associated with crime in New York. Because of my righteous anger. Yes. You have a dog. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. I would full-blown go John Wick. (laughs) Yes. So another emotion that we're talking about is sadness. And this is one that I kind of feel is easy to overdo, especially if you're having a character death. When you're writing, you can't just saturate the page with sadness. I think mixing the other emotions in makes the sadness more potent. I'm going to use an example from probably my favorite character in Brandon Sanderson novels is one of the main characters from the Stormlight Archive series. He has depression Hmm. and it's very, very well represented through the entire story where he's just sad. He doesn't feel like he's getting what he deserves as a person But no matter what he faces, he is always fighting for other people. He is always fighting to save lives. And it's a very interesting thing because when I'm reading this character, I can feel that sadness. I can feel that depression without it being, he's sad. And sadness doesn't always present as tears. Just like we were talking the physiological responses for any of these emotions, Obviously, sadness, the, the sign in sign language says tears, but it's not always tears. If I am sad, I tend to distance myself from people because I don't want to make things worse. And connecting with people is often the catalyst for sadness. So distancing tends to be my solution. You can also have people that will lash out when they're sad. They will have something bad happen in their lives and it will actually cause them to get angry. That's that emotional mix is that instead of being sad, it prompts them toward anger. And sadness isn't the opposite of happiness. It's actually those two are very deeply interconnected. So when you're mixing emotions, you're mixing sad and glad at the same time, you end up with something that's very beautiful. It draws a lot out of you. A good representation of this is someone who has a very religious outlook on life, very much believing in afterlife, in we'll see each other again, who loses their loved one of 50 years. So a lot of the times you'll have an older couple, one of them has some kind of terminal illness, they suffer for a really long time. And finally, they pass away and their partner has this optimistic outlook of, I'll see them again. They are relieved from the pain that they experienced and then grief and sadness that they're gone. So a lot of when you're mixing sadness with any other emotion, you're going to add an element of the past to it. If you're mixing it with anger, they can be furious about something else that's happened and have that regret sometimes. You can have a loneliness if you're mixing it with scared. One of the most useful tools for me in writing sadness is the stages of grief. And we're not just talking someone dying. I think the original stages of grief was about any kind of loss whatsoever. 
So as I'm going through my divorce, we're going to use that as an example. For a long time, I for a couple of years, I was in denial. That's the first stage of grief. As I moved past that, I moved on to anger and got mostly mad at myself because I've failed in what should be the largest success of my life. Then the third step, bargaining. Like, okay, well, maybe if we change something, we could make this work. We have a lot of chemistry still. There are a lot of things that could happen. But in the end, it's part of losing, losing this marriage in my case. And when it comes to bargaining, it is very, 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 very rare that bargaining actually works. True. But you're going to see it in a lot of characters. And I think this is one that storytellers kind of rush to a little bit. No, you can't die. I'll give my life for yours kind of thing. You you jump ahead a little bit. It's very important for me personally as a reader to be invested in that choice of bargaining mm-hmm. to fully see their denial and their anger first. Mm-hmm. The fourth step is depression. And this precedes acceptance in that, okay, the bargaining isn't going to work. How the depression gets exhibited, sometimes it's a character trying to be way too optimistic and happy because she just lost somebody and she's trying to make sure everybody else is happy. The last step is acceptance. And this is not to say that things go back to the way they were. They don't become not sad. Yes. It is still part of the grief and it is more often than not the longest one because you spend the rest of your life in this phase. And it's not that I get another dog because my dog died. It's that I still loved my first dog and I'm able to move on. So when it comes to writing sadness, especially when it comes to writing depression, remember that it is a very deep emotion. It is not fleeting. Very raw. And exactly, it is not a fleeting emotion. It is something that will stick with your character for a very long time if it is true sadness. One of the ways that I've found to make it very big is to make it very small. It's not that this character died and I I really want them back, blah, blah, blah. It's a, he turned to talk to her in her chair, but she wasn't sitting there anymore. Those little moments make it that much more sad. Um, good representation of this is the beginning of Up. Yes. Where you have that sequence of him meeting her, then they grow up and have their life together. And then after that, it shows him in his actual life. And you see traces of her through the home and in what he does and how he reacts to things. And that is honestly why in the first 10 minutes of that movie, I cried like a child. (laughs) Because sadness is something that sticks with your character, it is something that you can show gradually over time in little bits. Again, going back to Kaladin from the Stormlight Archives. It's why I love his character so much because it's not him being depressed for a scene and then you just kind of assume he's depressed for the rest of the books. It is always just something small in his scenes that represent this emotion that's been with him for years. So we've had mad, we've had sad. What's the next one? Glad. Yay. This is such a good emotion, such a fun emotion to represent but I fear too many authors take it for granted. I think being glad is actually one of the most difficult emotions for me to write because it feels like it can nullify the struggle of the story, the problem that the story is about if there's happiness. There should be moments of tension and moments of relief. And that is a storytelling tool that we'll talk about in a future episode eventually when I feel like getting to it. When we're talking about gladness and how it reacts and mixes with other emotions, gladness usually offers some kind of resolution Mm -hmm. to whatever they had been experiencing before. Which is why we end up with a happily ever after. And that doesn't say that Jasmine and Aladdin never had a fight again, but they lived with happiness in their lives from then on. 
So let's talk a little bit about what types of gladness there are, because there are a lot. There's all kinds of types of happiness Mm -hmm. that a person can experience in different situations. Probably the biggest one that people will experience is joy. That overwhelming feeling of, yay. I would say joy is long-term. It's deeper than just, I got the Christmas present I wanted. It's a, regardless of anything else that's going on in my life, I know I can have this optimism because there's something better going on. And there is a short and a long version for each of the emotions we're going through. And I would say happiness being the short-term version and then joy being the long-term. You're going to see a lot of the happiness, especially in kids, when you're portraying a young human or humanoid in your story. That simple, unadulterated happiness from a child at seeing an egg hatch. That is a happy moment. And it's something that as you're writing from a different perspective, watching this kid have that just pure happiness moment can spark joy in the watcher. Because as an adult, you're watching this and you know that this kid can have so much potential. It is that Mm -hmm. futuristic hope for something more for this child I love watching my nieces and nephews open like Christmas presents or just experience something new in lives because I'm like, oh, you're so young. You have so much in front of you. You're going to experience this happy emotion so much more. It's going to be great. Honestly, adding gladness to your characters ends up deepening them. And it's not always the same way. I think of Gibbs from NCIS and his happy place is just making the boat. He likes building things with his hands. That's a different kind of gladness. That's kind of that relief, that relaxation, contentment. And even though he's a somber character and he's kind of the the realist in a lot of ways, having that place where he's contented, we as audience members have permission to also feel contented. One thing about when you're writing gladness, it has to accompany other emotions If your character is only happy, they are such a flat, boring, Mm -hmm. unrealistic character. I'd say I put happiness mostly at the beginning and end of my story. So in the book I'm writing right now, in the first one in the series, the whole series starts off with how much she's in love with her husband. And that sort of becomes ominous because it's happening at the beginning of the book and she's happy about this one particular thing. We know exactly what's going to happen with that. But if you're going to intersperse it throughout the story, there are a couple of ways of doing that. One is humor, which I'm not good at. The other way is called a pet the dog moment. And you can take that as literally as you want. But having this gruff, mean, dark character connect with often it's a child connect with somebody makes them endearing. That way you can have a powerful character still be a good guy. It gives us depth to that character. Mm -hmm. Your villains also need this kind of depth. Mm -hmm. Joy, happiness, gladness is not just for your good guys. There is nothing creepier than a villain with a genuine smile. Mm -hmm. Not just a creepy like... I'm going to murder you smile, a I'm happy to see you today smile. Mm -hmm. That's just super creepy. Yes. It doesn't have to be in response to a victory either. It's a, oh, good morning. Have you had your coffee yet today? From the wife, great. From the villain, do I dare drink that coffee? What did you put in it? Am I going to die? Yes. So this is another thing that I can't stress enough. Sadness and gladness are not opposites. Yes, they work best actually hand in hand. So you talked about a little bit when we were talking about sadness is that it creates that beautiful emotion if you have someone is who is both happy and sad mm-hmm. because it is a hopeful sadness. And what is our last emotion? The last emotion is so important to write for any of your characters. It's being scared. 
There are so many things in writing books and creating a good, complex, deep plot that will cause some kind of fear in your characters, whether good or bad. This is the element, this is the emotion that gets the reader to turn the page. Being sad, being happy, being mad. Maybe mad a little bit because there's an anticipation for more action at that point. But being scared is what really gets them. What'll happen to the character? Will he get out of the cement in time? Whatever it is. Having that emotion of scared is what gets people to continue reading. Just like Gladness, this is not just for your protagonists. I love seeing an antagonist scared. Not just in the final climax, but throughout the story. Exactly. Because that oftentimes motivates your villain. Think about Voldemort. What was he most afraid of? Dying. He was most afraid of death. And so his whole goal, everything he did in his life was to become immortal. Fear, when you are mixing that with other emotions, it is a primal response. It adds that primal element to any type of fear. You add fear to sadness and you're going to get anxiety, you know, that fear of nothing. I would also say that it takes something internal, an emotion, and makes it external, makes something happen with it. Not necessarily in the same way anger does. There's a choice when it comes to anger of I'm going to step in and deck the guy who's abusing his dog. In the elements of fear, I'm going to run away. It's a fight or flight kind of response. The biggest thing when you're writing fear is to develop your characters. You have to develop your character first before you can determine what it is in your plot that is going to make them scared. Consider two different people who have the same fear, like fear of snakes. They are going to have different responses to the fear of snakes because where that fear came from changes how they respond. So if you have one person who has actually been bitten by a snake, their reaction is going to be very different from somebody who just has the concept of being bitten. It's also important to understand the causes of fear. The most common cause of any phobia out there is simple. It is the fear of the unknown. There's something lurking in the dark. That stack of clothes on the chair looks oddly like an invader at two o'clock in the morning. These types of fears of if I leave my foot hanging off the bed at night, the monster can get me. Another common fear, if you're looking to write something that is scary, is actually innocence. Something that we know to be safe. Often this is included in death. Not our own death, but someone else's death. A body. Because it's not going to attack me. But there's still kind of fear there. I think this is Stephen King's greatest weapon. You talk about twins. You talk about birthday clowns. You talk about nuns. You talk about... All of these things that should be comforting, pets, Cujo. You put them in a different situation where they're more menacing than innocent, and it can create a huge fear reaction in your reader and in your characters. So when you're considering your characters and what kind of things they're afraid of, you have to consider their backstory, their Mm -hmm. history, because most fears are conditioned responses. Yeah. I am afraid of heights because when I was a kid, I fell off a slide and had to get life flighted because they thought I broke my inner ear. Ever since then, I am super afraid of heights. I don't like getting close to edges of things. So if you're going to have a character that experiences fear based on a memory or a past experience that that is what they're afraid of, There is some point in your story where you're going to have to show that. So if you have a character who you want to run into a burning building to save a child, but they're afraid of fire, at some point in time, you're going to have to show us the burn scar that covers their arm or their face because they almost died in a fire one time. And this is not an obligatory flashback. I am not a fan of prologues. I'm not a fan of flashbacks. I'm not a fan of thoughts written. He thought I'm not a fan of 
several things that a lot of authors like to use. But flashbacks especially often are superfluous. He can tell the story and that act of telling the story and what he tells and what he omits is still part of his character. We talked about word choice at the top of the episode. Having him tell that he had his face pushed into a fire when he was a kid and then later say it was his brother, we know since the beginning that he hates, that adds depth to your character. All right, so let's get into the nitty gritty of fear itself. Fear is one of those emotions that will always cause a physical response of some kind. Your body is going to go into fight or flight mode. It is either going to want to punch the thing in the face or just run away and get away from whatever it is that's causing that fear. I will add freeze to that. Fight, flight, or freeze. When you're writing this, your character's response needs to be inherent to that character. So if you have a character who is trained to fight to kill, their response is going to be fight. If you have a character that's never encountered anything like that in their lives, their response is going to be to flee, to run away. So think about your character and psychologically, what would they do in that situation? Also, your brain, when encountering fear, shuts down. See, I've found in panic situations for me, all of my emotions shut down, just gone. It becomes a purely logical system, which is dangerous because thinking slows you down. As a martial artist, it's one of the hardest things for me to get through is to stop thinking about it and make it into an instinct. A lot of the time, fear gets rid of rational decisions in most people. You'll have occasionally people like Lee here and occasionally like me where we shut down our emotions so we can think about it logically. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, your character will have no rational decision-making ability. If you're using the word feel in this moment, you're doing it wrong. Yes. (laughs) Let me explain a little bit so that if you have a character like Lee or me where they shut down their emotions... The reason I shut down my emotions when I'm faced with fear type responses is because of what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. I worked in the news where if something big happened, something bad happened, I cannot respond emotionally to it. I need to do my job and get it done. Exact same thing with what I currently do as a 911 dispatcher. If I have that terrible call that someone just got murdered, I can't have an emotional reaction to that. It scares me. I have those emotions. But in the moment, I shut it down and I get my job done. And I would say that's a compliment to you and your character because there are a lot of people who are emotional people and not everyone can do what you do. If we had another author in a writing club, Crystal Hart, as a 911 dispatcher, she'd be crying with, the person on the other end of the phone, it would not end well. So again, that goes back to develop your character so Mm -hmm. you know how they will respond to fear. Types of fear. Some of your types of fear, you'll have anxiety, you'll have panic, you'll have horror, and you'll have terror. All of those have different reactions. And there's there's other types of fear. Those are just the ones that I can kind of think up off the top of my head. They're different veins of fear that will have a different reaction. The last two I mentioned, horror and terror. Horror is a revulsion to whatever you're facing. Too much blood in the scene. Seeing a mutilated corpse, you're going to experience horror at that, not terror. Terror is running into something that is a very deep fear Usually, you will be terrified if you are encountered with the possibility of death. Your death, not someone else's death, your death. Something else I wanted to touch on real quick with the scared is gaslighting. And this is just something I've been researching a lot lately for a play that I wrote. Gaslighting is when one character manipulates another character into feeling particular emotions. It's a type of emotional abuse. And the phrase gaslighting actually comes from a movie, I believe it was in the 40s or 50s, where a husband convinced his wife that she was crazy. She was seeing things in the gas street lamps. When you're having characters that are scared, having somebody manipulate those emotions is a very powerful tool. 
oh, the roof caved in last week, so maybe you don't want to stand right there. How about you stand over here instead? I am expressing control over you by manipulating your emotions, especially your fear response. So when it comes to actually getting this into your book, there's a couple of things, and this kind of applies to really any emotion. You have to get specific. Get deep into that character from their point of view to represent what they're feeling. Not tell us what they're feeling, but to represent it. Give us those physical reactions. Show us the thought process that they're going through. Are they scared? Are they freezing? Are they shutting down? That's going to change your writing pattern. And going back to the Molly Weasley explanation of how they express their fear is often with another one of these emotions. I had a character who giggled every time she got terrified. But being angry because something threatened your child and this maternal instinct, this mama bear, is a very logical response and great for a secondary character because like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I will say it again and again and again. Make the reader feel that emotion. If they are invested in your book, they should be feeling what that character is feeling. And I would say that's something that Lovecraft is really well known for, is he sets his scene and you are there and you are feeling exactly what he wants you to feel. I love the way he writes because he doesn't really specify the monsters that the characters are encountering. What he does is walk us through that emotional response that the person is having to this unknown thing that they can't describe. I'm going to end with this. No matter what emotion you're writing, mad, glad, sad, or scared, practice. Practice, 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 practice. Write short stories where you focus on one emotion because it will make you better in your writing of your main works. And how I make sure that I'm continuing to practice these is I will associate them with a holiday. Scared, obviously, I'm going to write a short story centered around Halloween. And for Halloween, every year, I release a short story centered around fear. For sadness, I will often do something in the end of winter. I'll try to do something around that time. For anger, I'll do something at the beginning of summer. For glad, I often do Christmas. I went back and a short horror story that I wrote that I absolutely loved when I wrote it. I finally went back and reread it. And it was like, oh, oh, oh. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to rewrite it for our October bonus episode, which will be short stories written by different members of the writing club, or if I'm going to write something else entirely. But this is a great way to not only practice, but to see yourself grow. All of the stuff that we've been exploring is stuff that we have learned and encountered and had to practice, and we hope that it will make your work better. So practice. Use emotions. Go out, observe emotions in people in real life so you can represent that in your book, no matter what kind of book it is. And until we see you next time, or until you hear us next time, do one thing. Write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 